Hey friends, before we start today's episode, we would like to ask you a huge favor. As you know, our show is now financed through the generosity of donors and sponsors. We are going to be doing a Kickstarter crowdfund in the near future to finish season two. And if you can go to exorcistfiles.tv and sign up for our pre-launch page, that will help us out big time. This will ensure you are kept up to date on when the campaign goes live and get you access to some very exclusive rewards available only through the Kickstarter. Go to exorcistfiles.tv and sign up for our pre-launch page. It takes like 30 seconds. Thank you. Now, on to the show. Who's there? Shit. One can certainly raise the objection. A Ouija board is produced in a factory made on an assembly line with thousands of others. What on earth is the issue with this and why would this be such a dangerous tool? The reason why is because it is a doorway that you are reaching out and giving permission to whatever is out there swimming by, so to speak, to come and interact with you. And that is forming a relationship with that entity. Welcome back to The Exorcist Files, an expedition into the shrouded world of spiritual warfare told through the actual case files of Father Carlos Martins. This week, we conclude case number three. For those who are just joining us or may have missed much of the dark history of the Ouija board, we would encourage you to listen to episode seven. While our characters so far have only begun to scratch the surface of their supernatural experience, make no mistake, the Ouija board universe is replete with violent stories of sexual assaults, beatings, torment, and ultimately, cases of full-blown possession. Walt, Anton, Tom, Peter, Matthew, and Gowan were just six friends killing time on a Friday night who happened upon an old Ouija board. For them, it was an innocent game, no more perilous than a round of risk, and regrettably, they began to play. The six friends made contact with an entity identifying itself as an eight-year-old named Stevie, Tempted by the prospect of controlling an unknown power, the boys decided to double down and continue rolling the spiritual dice. It should have been apparent now to every one of them that they were dealing with something that they didn't understand, something that had tremendous power, 
and with which they should not be messing. But while each of them was afraid, no one wanted to be the first to admit it. Hey, does Ed have the almanac over there? Uh, yeah, it's on the shelf. Go grab it. I want to try something. And at this point, even Gowan believed that they were in communication with an actual spirit. So he took his place along the board and they began asking Stevie the most obscure questions. What is the circumference of Neptune? Who played shortstop for the 1932 Red Sox? <laughs> wow, that is really specific. I'm looking... Are Stevie, you do baseball? A. And the planchet spelled out the answer immediately and with perfect accuracy. Rabbit Worstler. In fact, it took longer for them to verify the answer than it took for the Ouija board to spell it out. Yeah, he's right. <laughs> Gentlemen, this could be a gold mine. While using the Ouija board as a pre Google search engine might seem strange and mostly harmless, in our research, we regrettably found more than a few examples of extracting unknown knowledge for much more nefarious purposes. And one that really stuck out is the account of an ex-MS-13 gang member. For those unaware, MS-13 is a criminal organization originated in Los Angeles, California in the late 1980s, allied with the Sinaloa cartel, and as of this recording has an active membership of around 70,000 globally. In 2017, the New York Post interviewed a man who identified himself as Speedy, as he would not reveal his name or underworld moniker in fear of retribution for leaving the gang seven years prior. Speedy affirmed use of the board, saying, quote, Sometimes, when we wanted to find out if people were snitching on us, we would summon the devil. The devil for us was a symbol of protection. We used a Ouija board to call him. Once, the devil took over my body. I went into a crazy state. I didn't know what was happening, and it took 10 members of the gang to hold me down. In a trance, some gang members would give up names of people to target. It was a loyalty test, and we called it taking a soul. If the devil gave you a name, you had to go out and mess that person up. You had to take their soul." End quote. Unfortunately, this interplay between gang activity and the satanic is not only limited to MS-13. According to a 2013 BBC article, in Mexico, there is a rising demand for exorcisms, due in part to a large number of people joining the cult of Saint Death, or as they call it, Santa Muerte, symbolized by a skull in a wedding dress carrying a scythe. Journalist Jose Gil Omos, who wrote two books on Santa Muerte, informed the BBC, quote, From approximately eight years ago, we have seen Santa Muerte have a big presence with drug cartel members from the bosses all the way down. Why? because these people say that Jesus or the Virgin Mary can't provide what they ask for, which is to be protected from soldiers, police, and their enemies." End quote. Now, while our six friends, of course, were not using the Ouija board for anything blatantly evil, according to Catholic doctrine, they were still accessing that same spiritual conduit that often links our physical realm to the demonic. The spiritual realm is all about relationships. You want to build strong relationships with God, with goodness. You want no relationship with God's enemy. So when you go into the unknown and you say, hey, I'm here, I'm available for chatting, I'm interested in you. In that relationship, you're forming a bond between yourself and it. And this is the danger. Do you think it knows the future? 
tip we asked for lotto numbers or like stock picks? Stock picks, really? Stevie knows their shit. Yeah, for an eight year old, especially. Stevie, even Gowan thinks you're real now. <sighs> oh, 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 look, we got movement. Uh, Doesn't this just feel weird? It's... The planchet spelled out, I hate him. Hate him? God. Okay, so Stevie okay. still hates Gowan. Gowan, say you're sorry, bro. Alright, fine. Stevie, I'm, I'm sorry. Forgive me for not thinking ghosts are real. Stevie, can you two be cool now? It's moving again. Oh, bro. Stevie spelled out, kill him. They pulled their fingers off the planchet simultaneously. Oh, oh, no. Are you serious? Kill him? Nope, nope, Shut it down. Nope. Shut Shit. it down now. Wait, did I read that right? Kill me? What the hell's going on? Shut this thing down now. Get out of here. Oh, oh. 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 shit. <sighs> to prevent the planchet from spelling anything else, Matthew slapped it off the board. It flew through the air, self-propelled hitting the wall opposite them and then ricocheting back across the room and hitting a framed picture of Jesus. The picture was Ed's. It had belonged to his grandmother. He was left with it after her death. Well, that escalated. Correct. Damn. I I told you we shouldn't have messed with this thing. Why did Ed even have that? We have a cracked portrait of Jesus now, guys. Have we had enough? Let's just get rid of this thing. Yeah. I'll trash it. Matthew grabbed the Ouija board Someone else grabbed the planchet, put it back in its box, carried it down the hallway, and dropped the box down the garbage chute. So long, Stevie. I really hope this ends it. Damn. Tonight was crazy, right? <laughs> yes. Peace and mayor. Anyone want to go down to Fred's for some snacks? Yeah. Yeah, I need some smokes, too. Down. And beers. Oh, what time is it? Yes! Our taco truck is there. El yes. Padrino's. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh. And when we get back, can we just play a less stressful game? I'm over here. Play quarters, anyone? Or is no, we'll play more of our beach contest. Relieved now that they had got rid of the Ouija board, they went to the convenience store across the street to buy cigarettes and beer. They made their way back, took the elevator up, and let themselves back into Ed's apartment. <laughs> this guy, I swear. Oh, man, dude, it still smells in here. Oh, Guys, what the hell? Oh, my smell. No. It's moving, guys. And there on top of the coffee table was the Ouija board. The planchet moving by itself was spelling out, you die, over and over again. This is insane. I swear this isn't happening. I saw For about 20 seconds, nobody could find a single word to utter. Should we throw it away again? No, let's get out of here. Oh, we're just leaving here? Not my board, not my problem. How do we know it won't follow us? Let's just get the f*** out. Come on, come on. Let's go. The suggestion sounded good to everyone. They all turned around and left. So the board came back, and the planchet had seemingly come alive. This remains one of the single biggest questions of this case. It should be obvious at this point that this group of friends had gone 
far beyond what common sense or propriety would dictate they should in their interaction with this Ouija board. They clearly had interacted with something in the spiritual realm. They gave it permission to manifest in front of them. They provoked that manifestation. They formed a relationship with it. And now they want to end that relationship. But in the spiritual realm, because you want to end a relationship with evil, it doesn't mean that it complies. We'll be right back after this short commercial break. Hello, Exorcist Files listeners. If you're not having good ranchers deliver meat straight to your door, I don't know why you're resisting. Okay, some real talk. This company is actually pretty cool. Their founder, Ben, is actually a former worship pastor, and he felt God called him to start a meat company. And he had literally no experience in food. He just stepped out in faith, trying to be obedient. And a year later, they were absolutely crushing it, providing sustainable, all-natural products sourced only from American farms and ranchers. I mean, the fruit speaks for itself. Except they don't sell fruit. They sell amazing, high-quality meat that you can actually taste the difference. And if you want some seafood for Lent, just saying, they do great seafood. Go to GoodRanchers.com and use promo code X-Files, that's E-X-Files, X-Files, for a delicious discount, 10% off. Seriously, go check it out. Welcome back to The Exorcist Files. When we left off, our six friends probably set new personal records in their mile times as they hightailed out of Ed's apartment, fleeing from a sentient, reappearing Ouija board. While the idea of the board returning to the apartment after being disposed of may be difficult for some to accept, the violent death threats originating from the board are eerily quite common. A quick Google search yielded several cases where murders were directly tied back to Ouija boards. In a terrible but recent example, in 2020, Donald Hartung was convicted of murdering his mother and two half-brothers, when the prosecution brought up their main witness to testify, it was stated that Hartung had openly admitted to planning the murder and that the Ouija board persuaded him to carry them out. Interestingly, because Donald had allegedly confessed to planning the murder prior to the board, quote, encouraging him, the Ouija board evidence was dismissed as irrelevant. Now back to our six friends and their post-Stevie lives. Hey man, can I have a bottle of smoke? Yeah, sure. You die now. Excuse me? You die now. You die now! Oh, shit. The week that followed was the most unpleasant that any of them ever had. Each suffered from disturbing nightmares. Each had bouts of bad luck and unnerving occurrences. Two were fired from their part-time jobs for no reason. Three of them lost all the data on their computer hard drives. One was unable to get his car to start, while another found all four of his car's tires flat each time he went to use it. Each of them experienced flickering lights and randomly moving objects inside his home. But by far the most disturbing after effect was the presence 
of something around them. More than just a feeling of being watched, they were physically attacked by it. Hello? Who's there? One night, Anton felt the blankets pulled off of him. And a hand forcefully pushed his chest into the bed. With most of his body buried in the mattress, he reached up and felt a thick, muscular arm pushing him into the bed. He squirmed and managed to turn his body and wrest it from beneath the arm. But when he turned on the lights, he was amazed to find no one else in the room. Although his chest sported an enormous hand-shaped bruise, complete with the marks of outstretched fingers. In a similar vein, there are also numerous reports of physical harm following Ouija board use. As recent as March of this year, 2023, 28 schoolgirls were hospitalized in Colombia with severe anxiety, fainting, and other ailments after playing with a Ouija board. This story comes on the heels of a similar incident in Colombia in November of 2022, where a group of children also were hospitalized after engaging in Ouija board play. Medical reports to date have uncovered no trace of toxicity in their blood, effectively ruling out drug use. One morning, as Matthew was sitting on the edge of his bed, something blunt and hard whacked the back of his leg, sending him onto the floor, wincing in pain. He was left with an enormous welt on his calf and walked with a limp for over a week. One evening, Peter discovered a live cockroach inside his glass of water. He got a new glass, filled it with water. When he went to drink from it, he discovered a live cockroach swimming inside that glass as well. None of them knew how to stop these manifestations. And apart from one another, there was nobody in their lives that they felt that they could divulge these things. Some feared a reprisal for playing with the occult, and others just thought they would be treated as people who believed in simple superstition. But things changed when Peter recalled something. From the time he was a child, his mother would occasionally visit a monastery of Carmelite nuns whom she asked for prayers. And over the years, he would go with his mother to this monastery. So he personally knew the prioress. Prioress simply means the head nun. And Carmelite nuns are an order who get their name from a devotion to Our Lady of Mount Carmel, one of the many titles the Catholic Church attributes to the Blessed Virgin Mary. The order is characterized by a life of intense prayer. And among the different activities they partake in is the taking on of prayer intentions. When people request prayers from them, the nuns oblige. This makes them quite popular among their respective communities. He wasn't religious, but Peter always felt that she was a very convincing presence of the goodness of God. 
he thought if anybody would know, she would know how to put an end to these haunting torments. He took with him Anton. They drove to the monastery and asked for Mother Maria. After a short while, Mother Maria, who was quite elderly at this time, met them inside the parlor and Peter told her everything. Mother, thank you so much for seeing us. This is my friend, Anton. He was there when everything happened. It's lovely to meet you, Anton. Nice to meet you, too. Peter, what is troubling you? A week ago, Anton and I and a few of our friends, we were just hanging out one night, and we started playing this game. Uh, Ouija. Yeah, it's called a Ouija board. Oh. Do you know what a... I do. Please continue. Yes, Mother. Um... Honestly, it was just a joke at first, but we started playing it, and it worked. Yeah. How do you mean? The thing we put our hands on? The planchette. Yeah, the planchette. It started moving by itself. We definitely made contact with something. It called itself Stevie, and it said it was an eight-year-old from the 1930s. Go on. Mother, this thing knew answers to questions like freaking Jeopardy. Random baseball players. But then it got violent. It didn't like one of our friends and it dropped a sign on his head. It knocked him out. It made him throw up. He was like snoring. He passed It was awful. Eventually we got spooked and we threw the board away. We literally dropped it down a garbage chute. But then it was back on the table in the apartment and the planchette was moving by itself. Hmm. What did you do next? We ran. But what's been happening since is the worst part, Mother. I just... I don't know if I'm losing my mind or if something's following us. There's these shadows that seem to, like, move like people. I I, I can't sleep. If I close my eyes, it's there. It's happening to Anton, too. Anton? Same thing. I'm afraid to close my eyes. When I sleep, it's the worst. What is it you see when you sleep? This... Thing. Every night I have the same nightmare. I'm sitting in my apartment and the walls start closing and this this black shadow comes through the door. It has a normal like human build, but it's not human. Instead of a face, it has a has Go on, you can tell me. It has the face of a nest. Yeah. Like, like hornets. Hornets coming out at you, but it's different every time. It's and then I wake up in a cold sweat. Yeah. God help us. Peter, Anton, what I'm telling you now to do, you must do. Do you understand me? Yes, ma'am. That's mother. You must burn this thing. You must rid yourself of it. You violated God's law, and in doing so, you threw open a door to the enemy. I sense you are in danger. First things first, you must go to St. Francis, just down the road, and ask the priest to take your confession. Yes, my This ends tonight, boys. Now let's pray together. On the way home, Peter and Anton stopped by a local Catholic church and asked the priest for the sacrament of confession. That experience gave each of them a newfound peace. You might remember that in case number two, Jeremy's demon was significantly weakened by his attempt to go to confession. 
Father has shared throughout the series that in order for an exorcism to be effective, there must be a will to repent and a genuine desire to be liberated. Otherwise, the entire exercise is futile. It would be pointless for me to cast out the devil without them having renounced what led to the demon being present there to begin with, because he has every right to be there by virtue of them opening the door. So if they're not willing to close the door, then there's no authority that I have that can keep the devil out. It's a giant waste of my time and it's a giant waste of theirs. I want them to be aware that if you go back and you reopen the door, then the demon is probably gonna come back even worse than before with seven others more powerful than himself. So until I have people in the place where I need them to be for their own safety, I don't cast out the devil. According to Father, the simple act of going to confession with a humble posture of genuine contrition can be quite powerful. And one of the key aspects that makes confession so effective is that its confidentiality transcends all circumstances. The sacrament of confession is something that the Catholic Church treats with utmost seriousness. The Church imposes upon the priest who hears that confession a rule of secrecy called the seal of the confessional. A priest is never free for whatever reason to divulge what he hears within the sacrament of confession. It is a privilege that surpasses even an attorney-client privilege, a doctor-patient privilege. Even the Pope can't release a priest from that obligation of secrecy. This is not just a strong recommendation, it is an absolute condition. If a priest violates the seal of the confessional, the penalty for him is automatic excommunication. He loses every faculty he has in the church, he loses his office, he loses every authority he possesses. Now, lay folks might rightly ask, what about extreme cases where an individual confesses to a heinous crime? This is actually an issue being debated today. Both California and Delaware have proposed legislation that would do away with priest and penitent privilege of confidentiality when involving specific crimes. While logically this does make sense, Father points out that when it comes to the sacrament of confession, forcing priests to disclose certain sins would violate the foundation of Jesus's core message of salvation, that no sin is unforgivable. The salvation of souls takes precedent over everything. The church teaches that any human being, even the worst human being who has done the most heinous crimes, the grace of God exists even for him. So the church makes confession the most appealing it can for all sinners, that you are free at any given point to unload your sin without fear of any reprisal, no law enforcement will be told, this sacrament is here for you and for your salvation. Historically, many psychologists have been critical of sacramental confession, claiming that it creates unnecessary guilt from which their patients must recover. When we looked into whether there was any psychological research conducted on the topic of confession, it turns out there's actually a decent body of evidence supporting the idea of releasing one's burdens through confession or expressive writing as being therapeutic. In one such paper, published in the Journal for Religion and Health, researchers examined the mental health of a cohort of participants made up of various religious traditions, including Buddhists, 
Catholics, Protestants, and Muslims. The researchers concluded that confessional practices were, quote, explicitly associated with psychological well-being. Basically, it seems that when we express things and bring them into the light, we at least begin to understand and conceptualize them better, thus leading to an ability to deal with them. Reverend William J. O'Malley, who some of you may remember famously for portraying Father Dyer in the film The Exorcist, had a poignant thought on confession. He stated, quote, Although it may sound ludicrously simple, I believe there are two weapons against evil far more powerful than holy water and incantations, confession and learning. Yes, people are uncomfortable with confession. We always have been, but more so today, when we live in mortal terror of guilt trips. It's too upsetting every three or four months to assess, honestly, where we've taken those wrong turns. Better to while away the time, exulting at the motes in everyone else's eyes so as to distract us from the logs in our own. After all, guilt is so inhibiting. But what you get without facing guilt is Milai and Auschwitz. What you get is Gollum, narcissism impregnable against humility or truth. We'll be right back after a short commercial break. Hello, Exorcist Files listeners. If you're not having Good Ranchers deliver meat straight to your door, I don't know why you're resisting. Okay, some real talk. This company is actually pretty cool. Their founder, Ben, is actually a former worship pastor, and he felt God called him to start a meat company. And he had literally no experience in food. He just stepped out in faith, trying to be obedient, and a year later, they were absolutely crushing it, providing sustainable, all-natural products sourced only from American farms and ranchers. I mean, the fruit speaks for itself. Except they don't sell fruit. They sell amazing, high-quality meat that you can actually taste the difference. And if you want some seafood for Lent, just saying, they do great seafood. Go to GoodRanchers.com and use promo code X-Files, that's E-X-Files, X-Files, for a delicious discount, 10% off. Seriously, go check it out. Welcome back to The Exorcist Files. When we left off, our friends Peter and Anton are attempting to rid themselves of a demonic presence that has attached itself to them following a Ouija board encounter. Now, our friends will attempt to end this dark chapter of their lives. They drove back to Ed's apartment and collected the Ouija board, which was now motionless. They went to a convenience store, purchased a can of lighter fluid, drove to the edge of town, and pulled into a cornfield. Probably as good as it's going to get. Probably right. Oh, there's a house a mile that way, but that's it. Think we're good? Okay. Let's do this, man. You get the wood, and I'll go get some kindling, and we can end this. The cornfield stood behind a stone fence. Between that stone fence and the cornfield was a dirt path, slightly wider than a tractor's width. And on the edge of that path, before the first stalks of corn were growing, Peter and Anton made a pile of sticks and dried grass, sprinkled some lighter fluid on it, and lit it up. 
Okay, good. Good, he's catching. This has to work, man. Can't take any more of this. Dude, it will work. Anton, you see that man? Look. Wait, why isn't that section burning? Just push it into the center. Maybe it's not hot enough for problems. Dude, it's in the middle of the flame. It can't get any hotter. Okay, but look at the rest of the board. It's pretty much gone. The whole board burned except for one part, the part containing the word no. Dude, what do we do? Well, let's try a bigger fire. Man, I, I don't know, okay? I, I, don't, I don't want anyone to see us out here. Okay, there's, we're definitely on someone's property, and the flame is already pushing it. Pete, we can't leave until this thing is done. I, I don't know what to do, man, okay? Maria just said burn it. Here, just dump a bunch of fluid on okay, it. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Shit, dude, it's not doing anything. They added more kindling, they added more dry grass, and so the fire got bigger and hotter. That piece is in the middle of the flames, and it's simply not burning. By this time, the sun had gone down, and they had spent half an hour burning this board. All right, maybe we just need to wait. Wait? But how long do we wait? Dude, this is crazy. I don't know, okay? Maybe there's something happening in the spiritual realm. Isn't there a Bible verse on that or something? Seriously, bro? I just opened a Bible for the first time last week. Okay, let's just have faith. Uh, God, help us please. <laughs> Is that a prayer? I, you know, I'm just trying to make this... Shit, shit bro. That's oh, a truck coming. Damn. Uh, do we put it out? Uh, just play it cool. Okay, okay we have a fire. We're, we're just sitting by a fire. Yes. Just yeah, act yeah. like it's our... Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Suddenly, a truck pulled off the road and turned down the path they were on with its headlights shining. They know that they're on someone else's property and their hearts are pounding because of it. Dude, he's just pulling up. Uh, uh just tell him we're camping? Uh, hey, sorry, we are up. The truck didn't stop, but slowly passed them. Once the headlights had passed, what they saw was an old man dressed in a checkered shirt and in overalls, but he had no face, no mouth, no nose, and no eyes. Just skin over a flat, featureless skull. Frozen, they watched this truck drive straight onto the cornfield. Then it vanished into thin air. Where's it going? He's gone. Is it leaving? Yeah, 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 yeah. Why? Peter, look, look, it's burning. Yes! Yes! Yes, dude, yes! The piece containing the word no, the fire had begun to consume its edges. Anton kept squirting it with lighter fluid. Peter kept feeding more sticks. Finally, the piece was completely destroyed. Goodbye, Stevie. Please. I'm going to pass out, dude. Same, man. There's a saying that no one ever stays the same after an encounter with a Ouija board. 
one either becomes better or one becomes worse. From this point, neither Anton nor Peter experienced any more disturbances. After Tom and Matthew also went to confession, everything stopped for them as well. In fact, the experience was the onset of a spiritual conversion for the four of them. Each developed a prayer life, fell in love with Christ, and eventually became leaders within their own respective faith communities. However, the story didn't have a happy ending for Walt and Gowan, who did not follow their friends in the path of conversion and repentance. Walt was involved in a terrible car accident that left him permanently unable to work. Relationally, he went from woman to woman, but was never able to find someone with whom he could share his life. Gowan was eventually arrested for possessing illegal content on his computer, spent several years in jail, and upon his release, the only employment he could find was working as a pizza delivery driver. Looking back, the reason why the evil spirit had such easy access to Gowan, an access that made him vomit, put him into a deep sleep and so forth, if his soul was already weighted down by a lot of sin, then Gowan already belonged to the devil. And there you have it, a game night gone terribly awry. But freedom was found for at least some of our friends. Now, of course, one can't prove that Walt and Gowan's misfortunes were due to not repenting or accepting the faith, this is not a conclusion that we here at this show care to draw. We do find it to be an interesting data point, however, and it could explain why the demon wanted Gowan dead during the Ouija session. Within Catholic theology, a soul that dies in a state of mortal sin will never see the inside of heaven. So, if Gowan were to die in that state, then he would belong to the enemy. A diabolical scheme, indeed. In interacting with evil, you are giving evil permission to engage with you. In the spiritual life, there's no such thing as neutrality. You're either on God's side or you are on his enemy's side. You cannot choose not to choose. Reflecting on this case, I can't help but wonder. The Ouija board has sold millions of copies, and the odds are you have yourself or you know someone who is engaged with it and they did not end up in a cornfield with a faceless demon. A skeptic could justifiably point out that many of the criminals who committed horrific murders and crimes under supposed orders from the Ouija board were already deeply troubled and could have simply used the board to express what they already harbored in their hearts. And then, of course, there is the issue that even if the board told them to do it, these people still chose to commit these crimes of their own free will, except the ones who claimed the devil made them do it. And there are sadly quite a few of those. Now, if you're still skeptical of the incessant admonitions against Ouija use from the Christian circles, perhaps you could be persuaded by a rather unlikely critic of the board, the infamous English occultist and practitioner of black magic, Aleister Crowley. Even he warned against Ouija misuse, stating, quote, when you use the Ouija board, you give permission for any unknown spirit to communicate with you. Would you open the front door to your house and let in anybody who felt like it? Of course not. And Crowley was not alone in his caution. Even within the paranormal community, 
the boards are suspect. And the Ouija historian Robert Murch said that when he first began speaking at paranormal conventions, people begged him to leave his boards at home because they scared people. And that, folks, is all the Ouija board wrote. And you thought Jumanji was bad. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Exorcist Files. If you'd like to learn more about the topic or hear bonus materials, you can visit our website at exorcistfiles.tv. You can also email us absurd and overly specific criticisms at exorcistfiles at gmail.com. All cases in The Exorcist Files are recounted by Father Carlos Martins from his personal archives. The Exorcist Files is hosted by Father Martins and myself, Ryan Bethay. This episode's reenactments were directed and recorded by Chandler Mays and Ryan Bethay in Los Angeles, California. Matthew was portrayed by Cornell Williams, Gowan by Landon Merrill, Walt by Parker Reiniger, Peter by Alex Reiniger, Anton by David Gridley, and Tom by Mark Reiniger, Mother Maria by Bonnie Hellman, and The Guy Who Says You Die by Ryan Bethay. Any likeness or similarities of characters are entirely coincidental and unintentional on the part of the writers. Additional research provided by Anne Marie Robson and Miranda Hawkins. Script written by Ryan Bethay and Chandler Mays. Original theme and select scores written and composed by Dan Carey Bailey. Assistant editor is Christoph Ehlers. Supervising producer, sound designer, editor, and mixer is Chandler Mays. Executive producers are Carlos Martins, Ryan Bethay, and Chandler Mays. The Exorcist Files is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello? Wow, you're still here. You must really love this show. I will say, you have excellent taste in podcasts, which is why, should you be craving a few more dad jokes and some great conversations, you should head on over to The Ryan Bethay Show and check out my interviews with some incredible guests, like John O'Hurley, who played Mr. Peterman on Seinfeld, Kathy Lee Gifford, PGA legend Bubba Watson, Ghostbuster Ernie Hudson, best-selling author Andy Weir of The Martian, and many more. About two years ago, we bought an airport shuttle bus, turned it into a campfire setting, and actually drove this thing across the country in this fully mobile studio to interview some absolute legends. All those talks are online. We don't just ask them normal questions. We go really deep and we find key moments in their journey to help figure out their best lessons. All the episodes are evergreen and they're really fun. So check out the Ryan Bethay show wherever you get your podcasts.